Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. On today's episode of First Lady and Friends, I welcomed Pamela Atkinson. She is considered the Mother Teresa of Utah. She does extensive and beautiful work with our friends experiencing homelessness. She's a senior advisor to the governor, and she does incredible work in her church as well as throughout our community. Let's get proximate. Welcome back to First Lady and Friends. Uh, We have an incredible episode today with a friend of mine that is just extraordinary. Um, Her name is Pamela Atkinson, and many of you may know her. But welcome to the show, Pamela. Thank you, Abby. I appreciate you inviting me. We, we are, I am so excited to share you with my friends because you are really an extraordinary person and um, I'm just, I'm so happy to know you. And, and I, want my, I want my listeners to know about your, your background. First of all, let's talk about, obviously they can tell you have this beautiful Queen's English uh, <laughs> accent that we adore. <laughs> so tell us about yourself, where, you, where you're from. Uh, your background a little bit. I uh, was born in Bromley in the county of uh, Kent. And um, my mother came from a reasonably well-off um, family. Um, and my father, what I saw of him, he was great, but he was a greyhound uh, trainer and uh, and a gambler at that um during the war i was uh, evacuated for a, for a while and when i came back to london having dodged all the bombs before it it was somewhat different and life was different my father was in the army and uh, when the war was over he actually uh, lost everything we had money wise and uh, took off only to appear every month or so. So didn't really get to know him well, but I remember it was a struggle for my mother. There were five kids. I was the middle one, and it was hard to find food, and we had to move to this house, which was um, somewhat slummish. Um, No indoor bathroom. There was a toilet outside. You had to go out to this tiny backyard, um, and uh, I learned to enjoy potatoes and bread because they were they were cheap, and I became an expert at making mashed potato sandwiches, and uh, we had eggs because they were also um, inexpensive. I remember being hungry a, a great deal, and then I do remember passing this eleven plus exam and going to a. a uh, not a comprehensive school, but um, a high school that was for people who had passed this ex- national exam. Um, and we wore uniforms, but my um, blouse had a frayed collar and frayed cuffs. My skirt was shiny, as was my tie, and my socks had holes in them, as did my shoes. And I, I remember the cruel things that that people would say, as we call it, bullying now. But I also remember some some of the girls and a few of the boys accepting me. But I also found out I was always the last to be picked for games and teas. 
And that was because I don't think I smelled very nicely. It's, mm-hmm. it's just one of those things you, you learn later. But if you only have a, a bath in the kitchen in a big bowl and you've got the kitchen sink, it, it's not frightfully surprising. And so one day when I was uh, 14, I decided I don't want to live like this. I think what I need to do is work hard at school and um, get a good education, and then I'm going to marry a rich man and never have anything to do with poor people again. And uh, at this point, I did apply myself at school, and there was a great um, uh, librarian at the library close to where I lived, and I'd walk up there every day after school, and um, that's where I would study and got some help from her when uh, necessary. But I, I learned, I could learn, I knew how to learn, particularly if somebody helped me learning. So for the next couple of years, I came out number one in in my class and decided I could do something in this world. Wow, that's incredible. And I think it was you that told me that education is the great equalizer. to, To me, education is the way out of poverty. And that's why I always try and help young people understand that, to look at my life and say, I can do some great things if I finish school and go on for higher education. Yeah, and um, we we talk about education and we talk about teachers who've made it a difference. There's a there was a Harvard study about uh, one caring adult. Is there someone in your in your childhood or your growing up that was that maybe that one caring adult that helped you to to realize your potential? Mm. There, there was a one teacher, and I, I think she felt sorry for me because most of the people in in that school came from decent families. I remember being in awe of the fact that a friend took me home one day, and she had such a nice house, and there was a bathroom with a toilet inside the house. I was amazed, and then she, she also had a bedroom of her own. And I slept in a double bed with two sisters, head to toe. And I, I think that was when I started feeling envious of what I, of other people, and of what I, I, I didn't have. Mm. And that made me work all, all the more, and um, harder, and staying up late studying, but learning from this librarian how to study. And this one teacher, Miss Motley was her name, still remember it. She encouraged me when I was down and said, you can do it, you can do it, Pamela. And I continued uh, to do it. And I decided to apply for a nursing uh, school. And there was this one hospital in London, University College Hospital. And so I applied there and... um, I learned they were only taking 52 students in and there were well over 500 applications at that time. And to my amazement, I got in. And now I know this was God's plan. I didn't know that then. Uh, But most of the girls were from upper class or middle class and I stood out like a sore thumb. So went through some difficult times, but meanwhile learned, learned a great deal. And um, I thought, if you're a nurse, you learn how to care for people, but you can go anywhere in the world. And so I took off for Australia and ended up in the Torres Strait Islands where I was caring for Aborigines and the Torres Strait Islanders. And they were just amazing people, Abby. They were so friendly and so down to earth and one of them would be very pregnant walking towards the hospital on this one island and say sissy colin my baby come my baby come and i remember twice i did a dive and caught the baby oh my goodness yes i learned a lot about midwifery at at that time um there were some great people there I learned to um, water ski in shark-infested waters. And oh, wow. somebody would yell shark and you'd turn with the tow rope and swim 
like the Dickens to get to shore. <laughs> and it was, I, I, we didn't have time to be frightened. Um, but I learned a lot uh, from the people. And then one day there were a group of nurses sitting around and Rosalie said, let's go around and talk about the talents we have. And they started to go around. One could sew, one could play, a violin, piano. One was athletic. And they got to me. And there was unanimous consent. Pamela didn't have any talents. Oh, dear. It was crushing. I carried that with me for years and years. But eventually I came over to the the States and... um, I, I remember a dean from the uh, University of Pennsylvania saying to me, you need to get a, a degree. And I said, I'm not smart enough. Oh, yes, you are. And so uh, she had me take some kind of test, and I did very well. And I said, it's a fluke. But anyway, I, I ended up going to uh, undergraduate at the University of California and went straight on for my MA at the University of Washington. And there was a glimmer inside of me that said, maybe you can do this. Wow, that's incredible. What a what an incredible journey that, that you had um, getting to where you are. I want to continue this conversation in just a minute. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. We are back here with my friend Pamela Atkinson. Uh, she and I have have been friends low these many years, and it's my privilege to share her with you today. Um, Pamela, you've often been referred to, and you just talked about your work with Aborigines in in very um, humble circumstances in Australia, and. It's, it reminds us of, of Mother Teresa, and you have been considered the Mother Teresa of Utah. Tell, tell us about what that means. Um, it's, it's very humbling because I, I, I just see myself as, as a very ordinary person that with the help of other people, and, and I now know but didn't know for many years that God has a plan for me, I... I literally thought I had to make my own plans, and I've since discovered that if I tell God I've got plans, it really gives him a good chuckle because (laughs) that just is not right. Um, But I I think that um, I've I've just learned that much of what I accomplish, I do with other people. There are many things that I do on my own, but I love the, um, the, the the acronym TEAM, and together everyone achieves more. And uh, I honestly believe that a good leader knows when to lead and a good leader knows when to follow. And there are some projects and events that I will lead the team, but there are others, there are experts, and I come along as a member of the team, and I love playing that role too. But um, I do see a difference in Mother Teresa or the, the, and myself. Uh, but the more I, I learn about her, I, I find out how very human she was, yeah. just as I am, and uh, making mistakes and, and, and making errors. Um, I, I appreciate the fact that when I'm uh, looking at something and deciding whether I need to help or not, that the Lord really gives me a holy nudge. 
and um, I know that it's time to do it. And and I I'm assuming that Mother Teresa did that too. But the way I feel when when people call me Mother Teresa of Utah, it, it's just it's just so very humbling. And I think, gosh, me, and and a flashback to the to the childhood uh, days, and all all that happened at that time. And and then I think, gosh, thank you. Look what a blessing you've been in my life. And all of the things that I have been able to do. And one one of the gifts that I've been given, took me years to find this out, but one of the gifts is the depth of caring that I can have for other people. And it doesn't matter who they are. And when I'm uh, like at uh, St. Vincent de Paul serving people and... Um, people from all walks of life, but particularly the lowest walk of life. And I feel great love for people who are there. I'm very much aware that it's not my love, but it's Christ's love uh, flowing through me, that I wouldn't be capable of it. But um, my depth of caring, I, I, I suddenly realized one day that I had this and hadn't acknowledged it. But being a nurse... And caring for people, reaching out for people, to people to say, may I help you always? There's something I can do. Even with my homeless friends, I don't say to Johnny when I see him, hey, Johnny, how are you? You need this or that. I always say, what do you need? And I like for people to tell me what they need and it's their decision. Yeah, you you said something. You've talked a lot about your faith um, in God and and His and His hand in your life. Tell us a little bit more I know, about your faith journey. When when I was a teenager, uh, there was a Baptist church near where I was, and nobody else in my family was going to church. Sunday was for play and drinking and all the rest of it. And, and so um, I, I went there and joined uh, the youth group and and started to see something else uh, in life that I didn't have. And I eventually was baptized in the Baptist church there in Forest Hill. But it's not a Baptist church like they are here. It's, it's a quieter one. When I've been to the Baptist church here to hear... Pastor Franz Davis, I've learned how to stand, sway, sing hymns, and clap all at the same time. And <laughs> that's quite an accomplishment for me. I don't think I can get there. Maybe, yes. maybe if I try. <laughs> it, it happens, and the people were so welcoming and warm, and that's very different from the Baptist church in, in, in England. But I um, started to um, attend... Uh, the Presbyterian Church here and uh, in San Francisco and actually got married there. And uh, I married somebody who was not a Christian. And, um, you know, when you're on a table, it's much easier for a person to pull you down than it is for you to pull somebody up. And I I, I learned that the hard way and uh, eventually uh, got uh, divorced but um, there was so much to learn about faith, so much to learn about God, and attending Bible study and, and prayer groups and just studying what life was all about. And my feeling was I needed to be at the point where I wanted to help people help change their lives as they change my life, not because I had to, but because I wanted to because of the atonement. And what had been done for me made me realize I just wanted to be Christ's hands to do his work here on earth. And it is so easy to do it, um, to reach out and, and help someone to give a smile 
a word of encouragement, um, a smile I found, and a hello can change a day for somebody who's having a bad day. And the other thing I've learned that a large part of caring is to listen. The art of listening seems to be disappearing in our country. I feel, I feel sad as I hear people talking and I'm thinking, you're not listening to what they're actually saying. Yeah. And sometimes I have people repeat back what I just said <laughs> and they can't always do it. <laughs> so that saddens me. Yeah. Well, and we've, we've, you've opened our eyes to really important um, faith experiences we, one of my kids and our, our favorite Sundays of the whole year is when you invite us to, to the Presbyterian Church where you're an elder and you uh, invite us to Reformation Sunday where we have um, curtain over oh, the tartan. Am I saying that correctly? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and yes. the, the fun part for me, too, is after we attended the first time, I went home and I started researching my family history and found that I had a clan. And it was very exciting for me. Yes. <laughs> I thought, next time I come, uh-huh. um, you know, I'm going to have to figure out where my, my tartan is and <laughs> figure out how to get that. And have it bless. It was such a, it was such a neat experience for us. As, you know, again, my kids just, we, we love that. Um, you know, our faith tradition, we don't, we don't usually have drums and, and, um, and bagpipes. And it was, it's very exciting. We loved it. And it's just beautiful. I'm so glad you you came. It is for us too. It's the once a year when we pack the church with people of all faiths. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Well, I want to continue this, especially I want to talk about your work. You you referenced your work um, with our friends experiencing homelessness and, and the other things that you are doing. And we want to talk about that when we come right back. We're back here with Pamela Atkinson. Um, the what we refer we, we refer to her as our Mother Teresa of Utah, <laughs> and and she is just that. She's an, she's an incredible person. And we're let's continue this conversation, Pamela, about um, the homeless, our, our friends experiencing homelessness. And I love that you taught me to say that. Um, I come from a special education background where we talk about people first language. And we talk about addressing, you know, when we're talking about somebody, um, let's let's talk about them as a person, um, and let's not always define them by maybe an experience in homelessness. And and so I I, I actually really love that. So thank you for teaching me that. <laughs> let's what do you, what do you wish people knew about our friends experiencing homelessness? I, I wish people knew what incredible individuals there are amongst our homeless friends. Um, I wish people could understand what it's like to be referred to by a noun. Homeless is a noun. Homeless individual, homeless friend, homeless man, homeless woman. But to be, it diminishes them as, as a person. And um, I, I think we acknowledge them, first of all, by nodding our head as we pass them by. A Salvation Army major once uh, taught me that if you shake hands in a food line with a homeless person, Pamela, you, that may be the only time they're touched by another human being uh, that whole week. And I started to think about that and think, not being touched by another human being, no handshake. And so I started shaking hands as they waited for their food and talking to them. Sometimes it took weeks or months for a certain person to actually shake hands with me, and sometimes they just pulled it away. But once they realized I I really cared, then the handshake became something. And then they would say, may I give you a hug? Yeah. And, and I, I, I just really loved that. And I remember this um, one friend, Jimmy. He came from New York, and he'd come out here thinking he could get a job. 
And he said, I've been here a year and it's almost like I don't exist because when I'm standing on the sidewalk, people avert their eyes from me. Wow. And he said, I feel like a a non-person and you're the first person to touch me in over a year. Wow. And we, we had... We had quite a talk, and I, I learned a great deal from them. And uh, I, I just think we need to know that homeless people are fathers, mothers. They have children. They have spouses. And that sometimes they like to call home. And sometimes there is a possibility of getting back together with family. A homeless person is not a homeless person is not a homeless person. They are so different and many of them have dreams and hopes and nothing gives me greater pleasure than to walk down Main or, or State Street or somewhere downtown and be hailed by my name and it's a formerly homeless person who has actually got a job, uh, got married, got a home and uh, have children and let me know. There's a chap in um, uh, California that I helped out a few times, and he's there with his family, and he calls me on Christmas Day every wow. year just to see how I'm doing. There's another person in New York who used to live here, and I, his name was George, and he had this dog who was his life. And his dog was not well, and I have a vet that gives me a 20% discount. So so I sent George with the dog to the vet, and the vet called me, and he said, he's got a tumour, I think it's cancerous. I said, what are the chances? He said, well, maybe 50-50. I'm not really sure that's being generous, but it's going to cost this amount. And I thought of George, and I thought this is his life, his dog. So I said, please go ahead and do the surgery which he did, and George called me, as did the vet, and he got all the cancer out, and George called me to say, I want you to let you know, I want to let you know, Pamela, that you actually saved two lives today. George could not have lived without his dog, and he got a job, and every week he would appear in my office with a few dollars, he wanted to pay me back. Oh, my goodness. And finally, he heard from his family in New York, and he went back there and got back with his family and also got a job. And so um, I hear from him periodically. But for many of our homeless people who are criticized for having animals, we have to realize that for our homeless friends, that's the only love that they get is from their dogs. That's that's amazing and, and an incredibly inspiring story. Um, you know, you and I and Spencer went down last Saturday. Um, you took us down to the... Where were we? We are <laughs> on Rio Grande. We are. We were on Rio Grande. Where the encampment is, yes. And um, they, your team and and the team at the Fourth Street Clinic and volunteers of America were there to feed. It was it was sort of a it was a block party, isn't that what we called it? Absolutely. Uh, had a block party and we're trying to encourage as many folks there to get vaccinated. And um, so there were people from the Fourth Street Clinic there vaccinating individuals that wanted to to have the vaccinations done. And then they were feeding, um, had had dinner. It was beautiful. It smelled amazing. Um, but you introduced us to some some of your friends down there, and uh, it was it was beautiful. Again, had a dog. <laughs> you talked about yes, that little uh, Chihuahua. Yeah. And the only thing the dog needed, I'd asked Mitchell that his dog needed some dog food. So he had enough, and so I told him I'd be back on Friday with some small cans of dog food, dog food. Uh, for him. Um, I yeah. I like to carry dog food in my car, and um, 
was so funny one day. I saw this man on 300 West with his dog and I drove by and I thought, he does look homeless. And I thought, why are you driving by? So I did a U-turn and, <laughs> and went back and I got out of my car and I said, um, hi, how are you? He said, I'm fine. I said, do you need some dog food for your dog? And he looked at me and he said, are you Pamela? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yes. And he'd heard that there was a Pamela who would give him dog food if he needed it and ran out. And so I was able to help help him. But I just think that relationship between pets and, and their owners uh, are so important. And I, I'm sure many of your listeners uh, can can relate to that. Yeah. One interesting thing I haven't shared with you, but when um, Mitchell and his brothers moved into that encampment down there, here's the reason that that half of the street has been relatively quiet. Mm. Yes, there's probably drugs going on. I know there because I saw the Narcan in his tent. But there's also leadership on the part of the chap to whom I uh, introduced you and the governor and he keeps peace and quiet amongst them and okay. takes control to avoid having to call the police, whereas the other half of the street is rowdy and has fights and what have you. Mm-hmm. So even our homeless friends, they have these gifts, and he has one of leadership. I could see that right away. He was he was very outgoing. He mm-hmm. was uh, just actually really warm and kind he was they were selling uh drinks uh soda and and things and yeah and wouldn't wouldn't let us pay for them <laughs> we were trying to buy some some drinks from him and and we finally uh kind of worked something out yeah. but we, <laughs> we i mean just as as kind and and you know, yeah shook their hands um just really had an incredible moment listening to them and their stories so so thank you for that. Um, uh, so besides Mitchell and, and some of these others, is there is there someone else? Is there another story of someone that inspires you in this and in, in from this population? One one story that I, that I learned a great deal from. I these experiences I have always at the end of the day. I think, what did I learn? Yeah, and I put it into my. It, I have a bit of brain here that says. Pamela's education. And and so I was at Palmer Court, which is a place where formerly homeless people stayed, and I was unloading some stuff. Uh, it was baby stuff. Uh, one of my friends in Palmer Court had a new baby. And I saw a lady sitting in a car behind me, and I said to the property manager, do you know who she is? She said, no, she's not one of ours. And she went in, and I got into my car I was just about to drive off and I got this holy nudge. So I turned the engine off and went back to the car. And this lady was um, nine months pregnant and she had um, a child in the back, a five-year-old with a mental disability. And uh, she said, I'm delivering a baby um, in two days' time on Saturday by cesarean, and I don't have any diapers. I thought this place might have some. So she um, told me where she lived, and I told her I'd be there the next day. That did, and did she have any baby clothes? And she said, not really. So my church, First Presbyterian Church, makes up these layettes for, for newborn babies. So I gathered all of that stuff, and, and I took it by to her, and she was so grateful. And she called me when the baby was born. And then she also told me, because she'd been on drugs um, fairly recently, that the baby couldn't tolerate her milk, but the, the drugs would dissipate. And she needed to have a freezer after she got home to store the baby, uh, baby's milk or her milk for the baby. As the baby got older and built up immunity, the baby, he would be all right. So I purchased a, a, a small re- a freezer from and and drove off to her place after she'd been home uh, a couple of days. Then I realized, how was I going to get it from the car <laughs> down the steps along the pathway? And I, I talked to her and she said, I, I don't know. Obviously, she couldn't and I couldn't. It was heavy. And then I saw a man over there uh, with a toddler. 
tinkering with his car and I asked him if there was any way he could help. And he picked it up on his own, carried it all the way in and put it in the house and what have you, and then and then took off. And we set it up and uh, I, I went outside to uh, – I said goodbye and I was, said I'd be back in a few days. And as I got into my car, I looked over and I saw this man and I looked in my wallet and I had just been to the bank. So I grabbed a, a handful of um, $20 bills and I went over to him and I said, excuse me, I, I, I really want to express my gratitude to you. I don't know what we w- would have done. And I said, would you please take this? And he looked at me and he said, no, no, I couldn't. I said, I have a strong feeling that I need to give this to you. Could you help me feel better about that and not say no? And he looked at me and smiled and said, well, I could certainly do with it. And so I gave him the whole waterfall. Um, when I came back and talked to Charlene a few days later, she told me that that man and his little boy were about to be evicted and he owed rent. I had given him enough money for the rent and enough money for a week's food and um, and actually just enough for two weeks because he was starting a job the following week and would be paid. So you, you don't know how things are going to lead and you help one person and it leads on to somewhere else. I had no idea. The Lord did. And he said, okay, Pamela, there's more for you to do. Don't just run away. You get your money out and all the rest of it. And I'd also, you know, had just gone to the bank. I don't yeah. do that very often. Um, I... I'm absolutely in awe of what could happen and what has happened in my life. If I look way back to when I was a kid with sexual abuse, hunger and real poverty, and I see all the people who the Lord has put in my life, but he knew that he wanted me where I am today. And instead of me going all over the place and following his plan to begin with, I made a lot of mistakes. But one thing I have learned, the Lord never gives up on us. None of us. He never gives up on us. So while his plan is steady and I'm all over the place, he makes sure it collides. And I learned the hard way what I'm supposed to be doing in life. People say, I thought you would retire. And I thought, you retire from work, but you don't retire from life. You do what you're meant to do. And I cannot think of having a life without a purpose. And I enjoy what I'm doing. I love the fact that a guy the other day waved at me when I was coming down from the Capitol one of my f- homeless friends, he had a blisters on his feet and what have you. So I parked the car and all he needed was cleaning and I had band-aids and the whole lot and, and he was so grateful. And, you know, it took 15 minutes of my time. But I'm so glad I happened to be coming down there right when he was and stop his blisters getting infected. And then I get this warm glow as I get into the car, and I think, thanks, Lord, another opportunity. (laughs) That's absolutely incredible. Um, I think most of us pass right by that. And, and, you know, this is a lesson for us to make sure that, that we listen to those to those you what you call holy nudges. (laughs) I think that's beautiful. Um, so one of the initiatives, uh, the focus areas in our show up initiative for the first lady is to is service. Um, and you've talked so much about basically service and action. What other components to service do you think we're missing? I think with um, in my church, when we do service projects, we call it faith in action, mm-hmm. FIA. And I don't think that people realize 
how easy and simple it is to make a difference and do an act of service. We have somebody came up with this, what they think is a brilliant idea of doing um, an act of kindness on a certain day. It 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 should be twenty four seven three sixty five. Um, it's like people are very kind and they do, they do, they become Santa and Santa Claus for Christmas. Um, and they're very generous. But what about January 1st, January the 2nd? So a group of us has started that tradition, act of service, faith in action, calling people on January 2nd. How was your Christmas? Were the children delighted, etc., etc.? Were they pleased that they got what they wanted? What What do you need now? Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, do you, uh, what about food? And and tell 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 us what you need. And so, actually, service is twenty four seven. Service is three sixty five days a year. So we continue through the months helping these families until they eventually uh, become self sufficient. One lady who lived near me and was unable to go out and shop much, she used to write me a check once a month for one pair of socks. I was going to ask you about socks, so I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. Tell us about your socks. <laughs> so one pair of socks, when I would give her socks to a homeless person, that person not only is getting a gift but they were getting a gift from somebody who cares. <clears throat> so a gift of pair of socks that can change somebody's life, prevent them from having blisters, prevent them from getting wounds in, in their feet. And, and, and the fact is that somebody cared like this lady. And even a pair of socks is an act of service. I spoke to a relief society uh, some years ago, and at the end I asked them uh, if they had any questions. And this lady said, well, I think you're wrong, Pamela. She must have been in her late 80s, and she said, I'm 80-something, and, and I can't do anything. I, how could, do I do the things you do? And I said, well, everybody has their own unique way of doing things, so... We, we chatted and everybody listened. So she decided she could afford a can of soup. And her son took her shopping once a week. And she would be in the soup aisle and pick a different can of soup every week. And then when she got home, she put it on the doorstep. And I said to everybody else, it's your job to pick that soup up, get it to the food pantry. And then I asked this dear lady that... As she ate her dinner that night, to close her eyes, bow her head, and just think of a mother and three children who were eating her soup and some bread that they'd get at the pantry and some other things, and they would go to bed with a full stomach because she cared enough to give. And she... I mean, that dear lady, she did this for many years before she died. And I often think of the number of families that benefited from her kindness and willing to do service. And I just think we sometimes think of an act of service as this huge event and everybody's getting stressed out and we forget the joyful hearts that go along with service. Oh, beautiful. And... I think you can do something on your own with two or three people or you can do it in a group. Some people are brilliant organizers. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to end without talking about um, the Pamela Atkinson Homeless Trust Fund. Tell us about that, what it is, and, and, and what you're doing with that. The Pamela Atkinson Homeless Trust Fund used to be called the State Homeless Trust Fund. And when Marty Stevens was the Speaker of the House, he thought it should have a name to it that maybe 
um, somebody who was doing uh, what the money was supposed to help with and a recognizable name so that uh, people would say, yes, I want to give to that. And so he put a bill through the House and through the Senate and so changed the name of the State Homeless Trust Fund to the Pamela Atkinson Trust Fund. So um, I would sit in all these meetings where it came up at the legislature and just go beat red with embarrassment <laughs> as people were so kind. But the money in that Pamela Atkinson Homeless Trust Fund on the state income tax form, and people can give as little as $3 and or they can add as many zeros as they want. But it actually makes a difference in people's lives. Uh, the agencies have to apply for it and they have to show quantifiable outcomes, but it gives emergency shelter and case management and food and uh, it makes a huge difference. Uh, the first year, um, it, 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 it was somewhere around $400,000. But then as other people saw what had happened and so the list grew longer, if you don't meet a certain total of the funds, um, then you're, you drop off the list. But um, um, my fund is competing against schools, and that's hard to do, <laughs> and, and other areas. So it, it has it has dropped. But it's so easy, uh, easy to do, just checking. You know, when I see my tax accountant and he says, and of course you are going to donate to the Pamela Atkinson Homeless Trust Fund. I say yes, of course. I would not. I you don't dare, dare not, not. To, with your name on it. <laughs> yes. So that's where where that 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 came from. Okay. And I there is another one that people know about. It's called um, the Pamela Atkinson Foundation. And when you see those red meters downtown, you put money in. That comes straight into that foundation. Okay. And um, I have a board, and then I ask the providers, where do you want the money to go to, And which I'm about to do in, in the next month because okay. there's money that has been, don has been donated there. And people um, donate it through, through Zion's Bank. And it, it's absolutely wonderful because – there's no administrative cost because my time is, is given. Right. And then we're able to write checks out to these agencies that are delivering services and uh, making a difference like the um, Women's Resource Center, the Men's Resource Center, et cetera. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Um, Pamela, you inspire me and um, you've been so generous to us and our family. You are a... Uh, I my favorite thing and my kids' favorite thing is Pamela always brings us um, chocolates, uh, English chocolates, <laughs> chocolate treats, and and we absolutely love it. And you're you've just been so good to us. And and I know you know several years ago I said to you I, we want to do more, and and you've taught me how to you know not try not to do fits of charity. I think that's what you called it, yes. fits of charity, and and not just at Christmas time like you talked about, but. To really serve, and, and you connected us to the refugee community, and we've we've done some incredible, um, inspiring things there that they inspired us. And um, you know, I just, I just, I really appreciate that. And and one thing, I, the other thing that I've learned too from you is you've you've told me um, not to. There's certain things that we we shouldn't do as far as like we think we're helping the homeless population or our friends experiencing homelessness. So tell me, just tell our listeners, because I think there's some misconceptions about, you know, um, giving somebody something on the street or, or food or money. Tell, tell me a little about that. Every time I pass somebody, I say, no, Pamela said, <laughs> <laughs> Pamela taught me. So yes. kind of explain why we where you know, the rules or what you see as maybe best practices as far as that goes. I think one of the words we don't use enough is enabling. Yeah. And sometimes we enable people by giving them money on the streets to remain homeless. Yeah. And one of the conversations I have with, with people is, what is it you want to do? And a, a lot of people in those camps now are telling me, I just want one room. Yeah. And um, I, if you want to give a homeless person something, give them a pair of gloves in the winter or a pair of socks. Um, give them a, a, a card for, for McDonald's. But don't give them money. 
Um, I stopped a man on the street the other day, and he wasn't very happy with me. He was a businessman, and I said, excuse me, did you just give that panhandler a, a few dollars? So he said, yes, I did. Why? What's wrong with that? I said, he, he's on drugs. That may be the, all he needs to go and get a shot. Yeah. He may well overdose because there's some stuff on the streets now that's not good for people, and we've had far too many overdoses. And I, I think I may have frightened him a bit. I was just trying to inform him. <laughs> and he said, what do you want me to do? Go take it back. I said, no, I wouldn't suggest you did that at all. <laughs> but I said, you're enabling him to continue the life of destruction. Yeah. So you could have gone into the restaurant there and got a gift certificate and, and given that to him. But he's panhandling for money, and you enabled him to do that. So I think we have to look at, is this helping someone or is it? are they panhandling for money for drugs for themselves? I've met people panhandling for rent and I can refer them to somewhere where they can get rent. And it's all right to talk and engage our homeless friends and even panhandlers in conversation, but not when they're, you can tell from their eyes, you can tell from their wrists yeah. when they want to when they want to uh, continue um, with drugs, they're just yeah. um, the pupils. You can tell from the pupils, but you can see the needle tracks on the arms, and it, it's pretty easy from their their behaviour. So, just you know, if you and and you can teach your children, we can buy a pair of socks. That's going to make a difference. We can give it to a person on the street, or we can take it to one of the resource centres who collect socks for our homeless friends. Perfect. I think that's that's really good information for us. I think we all um, feel feel that tug at our hearts, and it's probably the easiest to give money, and I think that's why we do it. Yes. <laughs> and it takes a little more effort to do some of the other things you're talking about. Pamela, this has just been an absolute delight for me. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled that I get to share you with my listeners and, and the listeners for this podcast. Um we can find you on Twitter, and um, we can also you are a you are a senior advisor to the governor, and you are just everywhere. And if you need more resources, um, reach out to us. We mm -hmm. can connect you with Pamela and the and the things and the work she's doing. And um, please don't give fits of charity; just think about it as a, as a way of life. So, thank you, Pamela. We so appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor. Thank you. Please consider donating to the Pamela Atkinson Homeless Trust Fund, and you can find her on Twitter at PJ Cockney. Thanks for being a friend.